You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to the E2C Network. Podcast by Auburn fans for Auburn fans. Hello and welcome to War Horses, the only college equestrian podcast that probably needs to be a little more tactful in how it complains about statistical anomalies in riding scores. You'll see what that's all about in the last third of this show. Uh, spoiler to all the SEC fans out there, apparently uh, there are some ways that you can talk about football games that you cannot talk about equestrian mates. I'm your host, Auburn Elvis. Let's talk about equestrian. Now, in the world of college equestrian, the SEC announced the parameters in which equestrian teams can resume competition. Thursday, October 15th is the first day that teams can get together for a meet. The last day of allowed competition will be November 22nd, here in the fall. Presumably, they'll be able to resume a schedule in the spring as well. So, that's about six weekends in the fall that you could hold a meet. The conference also stated that SEC teams have to either ride against other SEC teams or a team from the same geographical area as an SEC team. Also, they said that a three-team meet is the largest meet that you could have, so none of these four-team meets are larger. Now, we don't have any schedules yet, but with October right around the corner, look for those schedules to drop any day now. I expect we will have at least three SEC meets in those six weeks, and maybe a meet or two against the Big 12 team. Maybe. I mean, we'll see. So, while we wait on more official news, I thought I would continue our efforts here to kind of legitimize this show as the leading college equestrian podcast. So today, I had an interview with one of the well-known judges in the equestrian world, Sissy Wicks. In addition to being a top-rated judge, Sissy has been an editor of the Plaid Horse magazine and a host of the NCEA editions of the magazine's podcast called The Plaidcast. So, please enjoy as I talk to Sissy about the equestrian judging process, and I even invite her to judge me a little bit, which I will just say, sometimes you get what you ask for. Well, my guest today is the incomparable Sissy Wicks. Welcome to War Horses, Sissy. Thank you, Elvis. I'm happy to be here. Now, where are you calling in from? I am home in Pennsylvania. I live in Pennsylvania part of the uh, year and in Florida the other part of the year. Oh, so that's I follow cool. the good weather, yes. Yeah, no, that's the way to do it. That's a that's a plan. Now, I have read your bio, but I have forgotten most of it. But the one thing that jumps out oh, that, that I have not forgotten is that you are an R-rated judge. Now, there's a whole bunch about this sport that I don't really know about. 
And I kind of just let my imagination just go. And then when I find out the real story on things, then I just, you know, revise my thinking. So with you being an R-rated judge, um, there's lots of interesting things I could think about that. But what is it really? What is an R-rated judge? <laughs> well, it, it sounds uh, certainly more racy than it is. So for for the USCF, there are two ratings of judges. One is a small R and what is what we call a large R. Uh, so small and then capital R. And oh wow! So they so when they type it out, you got to be case sensitive. The small R judge uh, is more restricted as to what they can judge. So uh-huh. a small R judge is more of an entry level, if you will. If you apply for your judge's license, you have to go through a training process, which mm-hmm. includes taking a test. It includes uh, a pre- learner judging or apprenticing for a certain number of horse shows, um, and then you are evaluated by the people with whom you apprentice who are large R judges. And if you pass all of those markers, then you are first awarded a small R, which means that you can judge at the smaller horse shows. Um, oh. And then having done that for a prescribed period of time, then you can apply for your large R, mm-hmm. and the committee looks at your credentials and looks at your recommendations and your history, and if you are accredited with your large R, that means that you can judge all of the horse shows you would ever want to judge. Wow. Um, so the premier level on down. And you are the big R, right? I am the large R, yes. Okay, so now why did they choose R? Why, I mean, why not A or B? Why did they go with little R and big R? I don't know. It's always been that way. It's one of those things that it's been that way for so long, I never even thought to look up what R stands for. Maybe it's registered. I don't know. Recorded. Um, It's probably one of those words, but it's only ever referred to by by the letter. So how would you say it verbally if you would you say capital R and lowercase R? Is that how you would say it? Yeah, I'm a small I'm a small R or I'm a large R. Really? Okay, see, I had assumed, uh, other than, you know, it being, you know, people under eighteen not admitted with a parent and guardian, that definition, <laughs> other than that, I had assumed that well, this is such a big deal that they have made so many permutations of what a judge is that they got all the way to the letter R. You know, so that's like, yeah. you know, 18 no, you're, different you're designations. you way too much credit in governance. So how did you sort of get into being a judge? Because let me again, let me just tell you where my imagination goes. I'm picturing you growing up as a child. You have really high standards. Nobody ever really meets up to them. You're just judging everybody. And you go through life, and you when you get out into the workforce, you figure, hey, I wonder if I can get paid for being like this. And maybe there's an ad in the paper or something, and you're like, hey, yeah, I'll go and be a horse judge. And is that and what happens? Say, you're so judgmental. You should be a yes. judge. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You make money yeah. off of it. While I may have grown up that way, and I and I may have been, you know, bossy and in a big family and, and, you know, telling everybody what I think they should do. That is not why I became an equestrian judge. It is, it is actually, I think, a way of giving back to the sport. It is, it's, it's, and I find it, I find it really fun. I find it challenging. I find that it, uh, it, it makes you sit down and be quiet and use your brain instead of your, your, running around and riding and teaching and, you know, acting like a maniac like we do in this business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoy it. And there's a great camaraderie amongst judges. If you, if I judge a, a large horse show, there might be 
four or five, six other judges. And most of them, like me, have had a long career in the equestrian sport industry. And so it's it's fun to meet people from all over the country and, and for me anyway, speaking personally, hear their stories and get to know them. And um, I think every time I judge a show, I learn something, whether it's about horses or riding or other people or other experiences. So, and I'm not a particularly social person, so that's kind of um, a, a way of, of broadening my conversation. Now, uh, one thing I'd like to do uh, at the end of this interview is I am going to have you judge me as an interviewer, okay? okay. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not, very judgmental. I can do that. Oh, good, good. Yes, and I'm not going to tell you what the criteria are. I'm going to spring that on you at the end, but uh, just okay. know that I'm going to require you at the end of this to do a little bit of work. Let's transition a little bit then. Uh, of course, I know you best, and many of my listeners probably know you best, as one of the voices on the Plaidcast uh, podcast with it. Uh, you have, uh, well, actually, you were also like an editor for a while uh, for the I magazine. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then, I guess, from that, you started doing the, um, the, the regular podcast with Tom O'Mara. So how did you yes. get involved with the magazine and the Plaidcast? I got involved with the magazine because um, I had taken a step back from my riding and training business. My father had just died, and I had been taking care of him. So I was a little bit wandering around wondering what I was going to do with my very type A personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Plaid Horse magazine was looking for an editor at the time. I, I went to Princeton. I have a good background in English, and I was an mm-hmm. English major, and so I met with Piper Clem, who owns the Plaid Horse, mm-hmm. is the publisher of the Plaid Horse, and she said, let's give this a try. And um, it was a great experience, and I'm super glad I did it. And then I started to get busy again mm-hmm. with, with – I started to do more judging and, and, and some – got back into the training element of it. And we mutually decided that I should back away from the magazine and just concentrate on the podcast, which was less time-consuming than trying to do both, obviously. Mm-hmm. So then I just did the podcast, and then we parted company in April of 2020. So now I'm not doing any podcast, which actually I miss. I, I really thought that was fun. And once a month, I think maybe twice a month, Tom and I did the NCEA mm-hmm. um, podcast, which which was – I mean, he's, he was so educated about it and so good at it, and it was fascinating to me, and I love talking to the athletes and the coaches, and it was it was quite a great education for me. Cool. Now, uh, with your work as a judge, you would then be at some of these uh, equestrian meets because I know you've done the national championship. Do you also get down and do, like, NCA meets at one of these colleges? Do you do that as well as part of judging? I have, and actually I have a newsflash for you. I'm doing an Auburn <gasps> on <laughs> – Oh, wait, yeah. you're going to tell me the date because they haven't released the schedule. So if you tell me the date, I will get information from you Uh-oh. that I'm not supposed to have. So All continue right, well, talking. I, I better not. Well, I will, well, after I stop recording, I will, I will hit you up for that information. But, uh, okay. yeah, it hasn't quite been released. So I noticed on the site that they redid some of the pages where they listed the host of the podcast. And they took you yeah. and Tom off. But I'm very sad because I loved listening to y'all's episode every two weeks. Of course, you would always have to ask Tom about how Auburn did, and he would always have to answer how well they did, and it was just great. Yes. And, yeah. It's a powerhouse that is called Auburn, exactly. I know. It's pretty amazing what's going on. It's unprecedented in the sport. I mean, in fact, their success is really the reason I 
sort of got so involved. Um, I did not grow up a horse person myself. It really, because Auburn was so good in the sport, and I felt like, you know what? I want to investigate this and see what what this is all about. Uh, you know, I get in on it some and realize this is legitimate, and not a lot of people are talking about it. I mean, everybody yeah. kind of knows about it, but I felt like this should get more publicity. I had some friends who do a bunch of podcasts, Auburn, various sports, and they were like, hey, if you want to do a question podcast, why don't you jump on in and do one? You know, uh, I think it's so important mm-hmm. for people to understand that, that equestrian is not a team sport. You know, what these kids grow up doing is not, is very, very different than most sports. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. tennis is comparable or something, but it's not a team situation. So it's, it's easy, I would think, you know, it's one thing to recruit the best athletes, but it's a whole nother thing to turn these kids into a team. And I think that's what is so impressive about these NCEA coaches to, to take these girls to recruit. You know, all of these top riders could can go to any of these schools, but to then turn these girls that are used to having success in their own right and have them work together so well and accomplish what they accomplished, I think it's just commendable and it's it's a real skill that these coaches have. Oh, I agree. In fact, you know, Tom is always talking about just the changing landscape of equestrian and how. You know, uh, it used to be thought of as more of a, um, a junior career, an amateur career, and then professional. But now there's sort of a fourth delineation that, that's come about, which is the college career. And one of the big appeals of, of at least NCA equestrian is that team aspect because, you know, so many girls are used to riding as individuals. You know, maybe even competing against their own family members. And then they can go and, and have this college experience and be on a team of 30, 40 other girls. And then it's not all about the individual. And, and yeah, I, I love the, the NCA format. The more I, I it and find out about it. I just really love it. Um, we're going to be heading into a commercial break soon, but before we do that, I want to bring up, now I have listened to recent interviews that you've given, and apparently you have a pet peeve about certain jackets not being appropriate <laughs> for competition. And I just love that. I love that. And I'm not going to drag on you about that because, again, you have standards. That's part of what makes you a good judge. And what I'm going to do here when we go away to the break, I'm going to text you an image of a jacket concept that I designed. And now I'm, this is not some rodeo clown outfit. I'm being serious here. I'm going to send it to you. You take a look at it. And then when we come back, I'm going to get your impressions on this design. Okay. We're going to take a quick break from this episode for a special announcement. One of the things that we take great pride here at the E2C Network are our listeners are really our E2C Network family. Now, I know they enjoy listening to us, but let's be honest, every once in a while, they probably would like a little bit of change of pace. Well, that's where you come in if you're a business owner. If you have any interest in partnering with us in terms of ads or sponsorships on our podcast episodes, you can reach us at e2cnetwork at gmail.com. Let us help you reach the widest variety of Auburn fans out there. I mean, come on, who else listens to a network where they cover everything from Auburn football to The Bachelor and the connections it has with Auburn. Utilize our podcasts, Facebook Live shows, and other flexible partnership opportunities that are available upon request. Let us help you reach the E2C Network family and the Auburn family at large on how you might best be able to serve them. Reach out to us at e2cnetwork at gmail.com for more information. That's all we have for you in this special message. Let's get back into the episode. 
Okay, so Sissy, you have the image. You're looking at it. I am. Okay, so can you first, uh, for our listeners, uh, I'm going to check and see how I can post the image at along the same time when the, the episode posts so that they can actually go and find it. But can you describe the jacket for our listeners, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, so it is the auburn blue, correct? Yes. Auburn blue, and then it has a beautiful watch plaid on the flaps of the uh of the pocket and then on the collar. What this does is just adds the the a little bit of bling to the jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would think it. I mean I am extremely conservative as you just pointed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I like things very traditional. So yeah, this would not offend me. I would be I would be more uh, more accepting of it if it was just the collar and not the pocket. Oh. So it's just a little bit of bling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are probably other judges that are much less uh, conservative than I am mm-hmm. that, that would think this was bang up perfect. That's exactly what should be there. Okay. I think it's cool. I really do. I've not seen anything like it. But, you know, I think it's different when you're talking about school colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I think that this is can, can be a little different than what we see in the in the normal show ring. Okay. Well, yeah. Because, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my experience in college, which was, you know, in the 19th century, is that <laughs> anything that anything that's college colors is is exactly what you want. You know, we want to we want to have everything in 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 blue and and do they call it orange? What do they call it? Blue and orange. It's orange. It's it's burnt orange and navy blue are the Auburn burnt colors. So anything mm-hmm. in burnt orange, orange and navy is exactly what we should be doing. So I I think you might have really uh, started something here. Auburn okay. Uh, that would yeah. not wind up on an episode where you're you know talking to Piper about <laughs> oh you wouldn't believe this jacket this one crazy guy trotted out blah blah blah. Okay. Awesome. I would not. Especially if it was long enough. One of my pet peeves are those coats that don't go over the girl's butt. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's apparently not allowed in NCA, so I've never really seen that. But I can understand that, yeah, you don't want something distracting. You want something that's, you know, uniform. I mean, that's why it's called a uniform is because they need to be the same. And let's transition a little bit then. Uh, Tell me first. How do you, how does one get selected to be a judge of one of these college meets? Is there a job board that you log into or do they call you up? How does that part work? They contact us and I, I get multiple inquiries every year and end up only being able to do a few because I, it conflicts with something. And if mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to judge a five day horse show versus a one day horse show, I will take the five day horse show. It's a matter of, of scheduling. So they, they reach out and they say, and it's actually the the visiting team reaches out and then the home team does all the scheduling, which I think is interesting. And I don't know why that is. Now, I won't ask you how much the gig pays, but is there like a going rate or do you negotiate? Yes. Oh, there's a going rate. Okay, all right. There's a going so then, rate and then they, they pay your travel. Okay, so they pay travel and then room and hotel and all that too, I would imagine, right? Yes. Do they get you a car, like a rental car? Do they send somebody over to pick you up, or how does that part work? In in my experience, well, a couple of them I'm always able to drive, which I which certainly right now is really a luxury. Um, and before they were just close enough that I preferred driving. But the other ones that I've done, there's usually there's a Western judge and a um, an English judge, and so they pick us up 
in the morning and they take us to the show and then take us to where we need to go afterwards. Usually we get out in time to be able to, to, uh, to go wherever we're going next, go home or whatever the next um, leg of the trip would be. Oh, so you might stack multiple things in the same weekend? Um, maybe, yeah. Maybe. Or, get, or go to your next, next destination for the next week, depending on what you're doing. Oh, so like say if, uh, uh, you know, it's common for, say, uh, Fresno State to have like a meet on a Friday and then also have a meet on a Saturday with a different team coming in. You might be working both of those maybe. Or if it was Fresno and then down the road, uh, UC Davis, you might go and do Fresno on the Friday and then do the UC Davis on Saturday. So something right. like that or where I you might, in, okay. Right. Or I might be in Fresno on the Friday and then have a horse show somewhere else in California. So they would, I would say, okay, I want to go from Fresno to LA or whatever it is. Okay. So uh, it really is just uh, what works best for your schedule if you can, exactly. you know. Okay. Yeah. Neat, neat. And so you, you say you wake up in the morning on the day of the meet, like say, say it was a Saturday meet, you fly in on a Friday, you wake up on Saturday at some point early, you, you, get driven over you drive over to the 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 ring uh is there like a pre-meeting that you have with because you're the only judge uh on the jumping seat side is that what you said yes that's okay. my, been my experience yes and um, but you, you get you get assigned a scribe though right we get assigned a scribe for the flat portion of it oh the okay. jumping portion as i recall i haven't done it in a year or so i think with the jumping i just kept my own card that's what i'm used to the flat mm-hmm. portion you have, you you critique as you go, um, oh. which is really a cool process because it's not something that we do um, in the normal horse show judging. Oh, so, so you're just calling it, out deductions or points and things, yes. and a scribe is, is taking it down, and then they do a quick addition at the end, and you sort of look it over, or is that? Yes, and the, what, what I find the, the most impressive thing about that format is that the riders will not only get their scores, but they'll get the comments. So um, if a rider, and and it just gives them a great idea of what they need to work on. What And and of course, my opinion may be different from the next judge that they encounter, Mm -hmm. but the coaches and the riders will go, the athletes will go over the notes and see what they might need to work on. Maybe their turn wasn't where it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe I will make a comment that they were looking down or they should have turned sooner or their transition was rough or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that's good information for them to, to use to try to improve rather than just getting a number and wondering how I arrived at that number. I think all of the riders, not just the NCA riders, but all of the riders that I that I judge are hungry for education, are hungry for feedback, are hungry for information, mm-hmm. so that not only do they understand the system of judging, how I arrived at the score I arrived at, but also um, what my thought process. So what, what was my thought process? How did I get there? And then how can I improve it? I mean, all I do a lot of judges' forums, and, and it's surprising to me how little people know about what we like and what we don't like, what's the, what's the positive and what's the negative. Hmm. Um, so it's, I think the educational aspect of this is very, very valuable for these, these riders. And you say that's very unusual for uh, – that doesn't happen at the shows? It doesn't happen. I mean, we – the only way that we can speak directly to the exhibitors is if they they ask the steward to come and speak to us. 
and then we give them feedback on their rounds. We pull our we pull our judges card and we give them feedback, so we can tell them why we arrived at mm-hmm. the either the order of the class or the score that we arrived at. Um, so it's a little bit longer and more laborious, and and most people don't do it. Um, hmm. Most people, you know, will will go home and and either have a pretty good understanding of what why you know the the order occurred, you know what what why we ordered a class the way we did why they received the score that they did, or they'll just go home and shrug their shoulders and think, okay, I'll just do better next time. Yeah, all right. This is this, I'm starting to connect the dots here because I've listened to other um, uh, podcast episodes and other interviews you've given, and so they'll typically there'll be a point where, like, uh, Piper will sort of passively, aggressively mention she didn't like a score she got in a show or something, and yeah. then there's, like, this half moment where you sort of, or at least I'm picturing you thinking, all right, do I need to jump in here and sort of champion the honor of judging? And then you typically will then step in and say, well, you know, one thing that would help would be if they would come to us and talk to us. And so I wasn't really sure what you meant by that uh, because I'm an SEC fan, you know, of SEC sports. And that's a they don't want fans talking to referees and stuff because that, yeah, that would not be a good idea for many, many SEC sports and many, many SEC fans. But what you're – Fans is different than those who are being scored. Okay, yes, that's true. That is a big distinction. I'm glad you picked up on that. Yes, that's correct. So let me then, okay, that that actually flows right into something that has been bugging me for about half a year now, and now I'm going to get to it and get your opinion on this situation. So I'm going to set, I'm going to paint a picture here, all right, and then I'm going to ask for your opinion. Okay, so. Let's imagine that there's this really, 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 really good college equestrian team and that they go on the road and they ride against this other team that is okay, not as high in the rank, and maybe a smaller school too, okay? So now this, the really, really good team ends up winning the meet, okay? But the scores were a lot closer than anyone expected. And so then, uh, also when, when I say that, that's, that's not just me being, uh, biased. Like a third of the riders on this other team had either a season high or their personal best at that specific meet. So now imagine that there's this really handsome gentleman and that he goes out on Twitter and he sort of uh, supposes that maybe those that team scores were higher than normal and that it might be due to maybe their horses not being as good and that maybe the idiosyncrasies of their not great horses are something that their riders are used to and that it kind of gives them more of an advantage than a visiting team would have. Or he supposes that maybe there's not an infinite supply of exceptional judges in the world and that maybe this host team didn't bring in and hire maybe the highest caliber judges that you could find at maybe other meets. And then let's assume that maybe... Some writers for that not-so-great team uh, read some of those comments on Twitter, and they did not take kindly to that what that handsome gentleman said. So, in this completely hypothetical scenario, what advice would you, Sissy Wicks, give to, uh, and I'm going to name three stakeholders in this little uh, morality play here. One is the writers of that not-so-great team. Okay. What would you say to them? Uh, one with another would be the handsome gentleman. What advice would you give him? And then the third stakeholders will just say are the common equestrian fans who are wondering, well, you know, how did this great team not do quite as great, or at least the other team did much better than what we would have expected. So what advice do you give to those three stakeholders in this imaginary situation that I have laid out? 
Well, my first reaction is who was there? I mean, was the handsome man there observing? Did he watch the tape? Did he, or is he just sort of guessing it out of thin air what might have occurred? He's probably guessing because, frankly, if he was there, he would not know the difference between a good ride or a bad ride. Okay. So, so he's just going by numbers. Again, there there can be so many factors that, that play into to a situation like that. And um, I think that trying to, to, you know, Monday morning quarterback what happened on the weekend is, is never healthy. And, and why throw that kind of information out there when there's nothing to back it up? Um, mm-hmm. It's possible that that the home team was more used to riding that type of horse, whatever the type of horse is, mm-hmm. and did a great job at it. It's possible that the the visiting team, although they are uh, a, a better team, a higher quality team, did struggle that day. I don't know. I'd have to. I mean, I could probably assess it better if I actually observed what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the horses make all the difference. However, the horses also even out the playing field, and I think mm-hmm. that's one of the great things about about this format, um, that everybody has to ride different horses and the horses that have different abilities and different strengths and different weaknesses. So, do I mean, can you skew the scores by having, you know, horses that are more difficult or less quality? I guess you could. Um, I don't know that you would skew them appreciably because the good riders can, can handle that. Hmm. Um, I mean, good riders are good riders. So um, the judging, I don't, you know, I, I would never pass judgment on another judge. And it's, you know, this is a this is a subjective sport, period, end of sentence. And mm-hmm. there are going to be judges you agree with and judges you don't agree with. Um, and everything's on a scale. And it's, it's possible that my 84 is your 78. So mm-hmm. the scale might just appear odd. So I don't know. I don't. I, I would again. I I would never pass judgment on a situation unless I did some homework on it. But I do hmm. think it's unfortunate that the handsome man felt the need to disparage the smaller school and disparage their animals and the judge that they hired. Hmm. Um, I think that's ugly, and I don't think that's in in the best interest of good sport and good sportsmanship. Okay, wow. Hmm, hmm, wow. Hmm. Uh <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, obviously, when we all look at this in a on a whole spectrum, we say, yeah, you shouldn't act like that. But at the same time, you know, there's the there's a certain background, particularly what I'll call SEC fans. I mean, SEC fans see no problem questioning officials. They see no problem, you know, disparaging his family and, you know, or anything like that when, when he yeah. doesn't place a ball, you know, an inch closer to an imaginary line. So so uh, no, I, I listen, I listen, I live in a house full of boys. I understand. However, hmm. I I don't want to condone it or or participate in, in disparaging officials. I mean, honestly it all evens out. You get a you get a bad judge or a bad ref today and you that you feel like scores against you and next week you get a good judge and a good referee and you feel like they're rolling it your way that weekend. So so I wouldn't I wouldn't participate in that in our sport and we have enough garbage that's thrown around about judges and, and I am one so mm-hmm. I wouldn't participate in that. So what do you think, uh, uh, I mean, we're kind of uh, alluding to another issue that uh, I think uh, Tom has mentioned from time to time of just this, as the popularity of the sport grows, you've got sort of two uh, different types of personalities in the equestrian fan base. You have more of a traditional 
um, you know, that are horse lovers who go to horse shows and they're into it because of the horses. And then you have the, what I would call the SEC fans who maybe did not grow up horse lovers who are really getting on board because it's uh, the affiliation with their team, with their school. And so they don't have a lot of that history of, of horses and how things are done traditionally. So you're kind of slamming these two different types together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what's the, what do you think that's going to – what effect is that going to have on the sport? Are we going to have more hurt feelings from the traditionalists when these new people come in and say, that ref did a terrible job or that judge? And, <laughs> you know, is that – I mean, is that what we're going to have for the next, you know, well, after how probably long? That, probably that, you know, that's, that's part of the job, too, especially if you're putting yourself in the line of fire. I mean – any any ref and in, in you know judge at, at any college level or professional level is putting themselves in a lot of fire. But I do think that one thing that the the uneducated well I guess that's a bad word but uneducated uh, spectator has to understand. Mm-hmm. And actually, this goes back to what I thought was one of the greatest um, marketing campaigns that that our sport has done, and that was for the last Olympics. And it was the the idea of two hearts. Unlike any other sport at Auburn, in in equestrian, you're dealing with two hearts and two bodies and two minds, and that is really a trick. So you have the athlete and what the athlete would like to accomplish and what they're thinking that day and how they feel that day and, you know, where, where their heart is and are they nervous, are they confident, you know, who are they up against and, and so when that when that athlete performs, they're not just dealing with their own how they feel that day. They're dealing with another living being, and that presents just an ultimate, infinite array of of possibilities mm-hmm. of points on the graph of what might coincide well and what what might not do well. So I think people have to understand when they look at this. Maybe the horse had a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the horse was uncooperative. Maybe this horse had a, a glitch in it that, that just did not mesh with that rider. So it's, it's very, very difficult to evaluate if you don't take into account that you have this, this myriad of things that might occur because you have two hearts. It seems like what you're saying then is that us SEC fans maybe need to be a little bit more forgiving in terms of how we view this sport in particular because there is that that live animal variable that does not exist in swimming or tennis or football or basketball or gymnastics. Yeah, I mean, like weather can be a variable. You know, there are many variables in football. This mm-hmm. is a whole new dimension um, that you can add to all the other variables of the other sport. So, uh, so what is next for Sissy Wicks? Uh, you've got some meets and shows. Is there anything we should be excited about for you that you've got coming up other than the big Auburn meet that you, you sort of uh, let slip that you're going to be working? I almost got fired for giving the date. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got some – I'm doing a, a lot of uh, governance work right now, which is boring for most people, but very exciting for me. So working on a lot of um, issues in, in our equestrian sport and our equestrian industry, mm-hmm. um, trying to do a lot with diversity and inclusion. You know, no surprise, we are a predominantly white sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to figure out how to open up channels for um, people of color to, to find our incredibly great equestrian world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just riding and waiting for the world to open up again and, um, you know, trying to, to 
to be productive every day while being more sedentary in terms of being in one place than I've been in a long time. I, I travel a lot, mm-hmm. and that has certainly been impacted by, by COVID, as all of our lives have been impacted by COVID. So it's, it's a new day. Now, do you think you'll also um, be invited to be a judge at the uh, NCAA National Championship uh, in 2021? I hope so. I was so disappointed. I was really looking forward to that last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard from from anybody, but fingers crossed, I hope they invite me again. Well, we're nearing the end of the interview, so this is time for me to receive my judge's evaluation on, on how the interview went. So uh, this is how it's going to work. I'm going to give you uh, four categories, and then you will give me my score in each of those categories. One well, out I'm not, of 100? Actually, I'm not going to tell you the numerical scale. That way, oh. if I don't like the score, I can just apply a modifier. <laughs> Kind of like how I it like works. how you think. I like exactly. how you think. I'm going to take notes here. Yes. Well, it's my show, so I can do that. It's great. Exactly. Um, all right. So, Sissy, are you ready? Yes. Okay. All right. The first category is pacing. How was my pacing? Your pacing was a 90. I liked your pacing. I, it was quick. It kept me thinking. I liked that. Okay. Cool, cool. Big score. Yeah. Big score. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 90. That's good. Second category is manners. How are my manners? Manners were very good. Manners, other than I, I'm wondering who the handsome man was, mm-hmm. your manners were, were an 85. Very good. 85. You're okay, awesome. Yeah. All right. The third category is communication and control. Um, I think that's high, too. I, I think this is a very easy interview. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, I would have to give that an 85 as well. Okay, awesome. And the final category is style. Style. Mm-hmm. I think you have such a unique style. I love your style. I think your style gets a hundred. Oh, see, yeah, I put that one last because I figured that's my, that's my, that, yeah, yeah, that's my that's, forte. Yeah, because I do a zillion interviews and, no, actually that sounds pompous. I do a lot of interviews. I don't do a zillion. It feels like a zillion sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, they can get slow and repetitive and and I would say that you've never been accused of being slow or repetitive. <laughs> that is correct. Yes, ma'am. Yes, that well, is correct. Well, great. Then I'm a, you're gonna I'm I'm loving this next question that I've got for you. So now I want you to think back over the last four interviews you've given, including this one, and mm-hmm. which of those interviews would you award the MOP to? Most outstanding performance. Um, let me think. I'm trying to think of the last few. Mm-hmm. I would say that what I found, and, and I only is saying it's the MOP because I found it more interesting because it wasn't about me, mm-hmm. was an inter- a webinar I did about uh, for the Retired Racehorse Project about choosing off-the-track oh. thoroughbreds. So okay. That I found fascinating because it's such an interesting subject and mm. um, I've had a fair amount of experience in it and I it's it's a movement that I really get behind because of the need for thoroughbreds to be repurposed. So Well yeah, uh I did listen to a, a recent interview you gave and that topic did come up as the as a way of saying one, uh getting more um use out of these horses and, and hopefully giving them another track so that they don't labor in the racing world probably longer than they should if they yeah. still have those years available in their you know in their prime that they could then be transitioned into more show horses so fascinating horses, event horses western horses polo ponies they have all kinds of things that they can do 
And I think you also alluded to that that might also improve some of the economics of owning or renting or leasing a horse, too, because it would increase that supply if, you know, the training could be standardized so that you made sure that these thoroughbreds are worthy enough to be brought to these shows. But that might okay. also serve some of that um you know, bringing in uh, demographics that aren't necessarily uh, aren't as highly represented as a lot of these shows, that it, it provides an economic, uh, more feasible way for them to get involved in the sport. Yes, supply and demand, exactly. So we yep. we, we provide a, a greater supply and, and uh, prices will go down and we can get, I mean, it, it serves so many different fronts mm-hmm. um, on a humane side and a humanity side. So um, I think yeah, I think it's a it's a great movement and one that I I love to give my time to. Awesome. So while you're not the MOP, maybe next time we have an interview, it's your time. It's just, That's it's true. Yeah. Answer. Well, then, yeah, that that means I'll just have to come up with a reason to have you on again, and then you can't choose that thoroughbred one twice because you know it, that one has yeah. already won. So then, yeah, maybe I could win it in the in the second go around. Awesome. Okay. Exactly. Well, great. Well, Sissy, thank you so much for your time today. This has been great. This has been very educational for me. Uh, Also, you've taken me down a peg in a few areas that I think I probably needed to be, but you've also built me up in a few areas that I think, well, I don't know, people would say he probably didn't need to be built up anymore, but that's okay. It all balances out. So thank you so much. Uh, I just loved having you here on the show and War Eagle and War Horses. There you go. War Eagle, War Horses. Before you get out of here, we want to remind you of a couple of things. Head over to E2Cnetwork.com, our website where you can find everything that you'll ever need from us, podcasts, blogs, and even ways to help support the show. If you want to find individual episodes, you can download all of these on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So until we see you again, I want to remind you of one thing, that here at the network, we believe in Auburn and love it. The only question remains, do you? Do you?